All right, welcome to our first of nine sessions in the series from self-help to God's help. So why do we want to take nine weeks to look at what God says regarding how we can be helped with the things with which we struggle? Let me take a little bit of time before we get into the notes themselves to talk about why this is an important matter. First of all, God is in the change business. God is in the business of changing us. God cares about us moving beyond the stagnance that most of us find ourselves find ourselves in. Now, I make that based upon observation. I'm 56. I've grown up in church my entire life. I've been involved in church ministry. I've been around Christian people. And ostensibly, we agree that we need to be changing on a regular basis. But one of the problems for most of us, in my observation, is that we see too little change actually taking place. And therefore, we kind of give up on the idea that it's really something that can and perhaps even should happen. But that ought not be the case. It ought not be the case that we grow stagnant, that we, te- we take a posture and a, a mindset that says you can't teach old dogs new tricks. And that's what many of us do. I'm kind of set in my ways. This is the way I go about my life. I've been doing this for a long time. What's not to like? What could possibly be wrong with me that needs to be, that needs to be changed? And so for many of us, change is just kind of a foreign concept. We just kind of go along as we have for a very long time. Old dogs, you can't teach old dogs new tricks, which would be true if we were talking about dogs and tricks. But we're talking about people. Much more important than dogs. Dogs react instinctively. But people made in the image of God, we're going to see, react with a God consciousness, with God as part of the equation at all times. And this God, who is part of the equation at all times, cares about this process of change. Now, how do I know that he cares about the process of change? Because he's the one who initiated it. God is the one who has initiated a change process for people. That change process is centered upon Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the one... That moves us from being sinners to saints. We move from being in a position of outside the family of God to being adopted into the family of God when we embrace the person and work of Jesus Christ. And God is the one who's initiated all of that. So the most profound of changes takes place at the moment that you come to Jesus Christ. Your position before God is changed. The hostility that existed, and that's the kind of language the Bible uses, between us and God has now been removed. We are no longer his enemies, again, biblical language, but now his children and he is our father. Profound change is initiated at the moment you come to Jesus Christ. But the Bible teaches that that change is to continue. That God has initiated change. By God the Son coming to earth to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. 
And when we believe in who he is and what he's done, that change process starts in us. But notice it starts in us. It doesn't end. When we come to Christ, when we are to use biblical language saved, when we are born again, when we become a Christian, that happens at a point in time that you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you repent of the direction of your life that you were going and you give your life to him. That happens at a point in time. It happened for me at age 19. It happened for some of you when you were further along in life than that, some of you when you were children, but it happens at a point in time. God is the one who initiated that change, but from that point in time, God intends change to keep happening. So that being saved, being born again, becoming a Christian is not the end, it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning of the change process. So in theology, they call that change process sanctification. Now, you don't need to know that word for purposes of this class, but I use it because it's related to that phrase I used just a bit ago, that we go from sinners to being saints. Now, what do I mean when I say we go from sinners to being saints? That when I come to Christ, I don't sin anymore. No, the Bible does not teach that. Quite the contrary, the Bible teaches that after we come to Christ, we still struggle with sin. We still need to repair to him and ask his forgiveness and to continue to grow so that we sin less, but we never become sinless this side of heaven. So when I say going from sinner to saint, I don't mean you go from you used to sin and you no longer sin. The word saint means this in the Bible, someone who is set apart. That's what it means. Someone who is now different. Someone who is now different than they were. That's what's meant by saint. Now, in our terminology, we use the word saints often to to refer to super Christians. And you have to go through a whole canonization process and a beatification process and all kinds of things in order for you to be called a saint. That's not the way the Bible uses it. The Bible uses saint of every person who has come to Jesus. We should probably do this. We should probably take a month and just say, let's just all call each other St. Ken. St. Paul? We already got a St. Paul. You can't be St. Paul. St. Joseph? Let's just go and do that just to get used to it. Because the Bible does that. It refers to all Christians as, indeed, saints. People who are different than they used to be. People who are set apart. So we go from... Being sinners, that is, people whose lives were completely given to ourselves, completely given to our own way, what the Bible calls sin. We've made idols of ourselves. We've made idols of the things that we chase. All of that under the umbrella of sin. And now we become set apart. We become different. That's why we refer then to the moment of salvation when you come to Jesus Christ as conversion. It's another synonym for being a Christian. Have you been converted? Well, what's that word mean? It means you were here and now you're here. You've converted from there to here. And that conversion, that change, is to then start at a point in time, but to continue throughout our mortal lives. But, as I say earlier, we don't see enough of that in those around us. 
Perhaps we don't talk about it enough in our churches, even though the Bible is replete with pleas for us to to change and to continue growing. So we don't see enough of it, and therefore we think it can't happen or it doesn't really need to happen, and so we stagnate. It's my observation that most professing Christians have stagnated in their walk with the Lord. They may have been a Christian for 20 years, but they have one year of growth over those 20 years. When from a biblical perspective, friends, for you and me, and I certainly include myself in all of this, for you you and I, we are to be changing month to month and year to year. So why do we do a class like this from self-help to God's help? Because God is in the change business. We know that because God is the one who has initiated the most profound change that takes place. That is the conversion, the moving from sinner to saint that occurs when we come initially to Jesus Christ. But it's not to end there. That's the beginning of the change process. God wants us to grow, and that means dealing with our struggles. That means dealing with our, our issues. As we deal with those issues, one by one, year by year, we see in the mirror of God's word what he wants us to be compared to where we are, and we engage in the change process. What that means is this. When I look in that mirror a year from now, two years from now, Ten years from now, what I should see is someone who looks more like Jesus than he did one year, two years, ten years earlier. That I am someone who is, in the language of Scripture, being, quote, conformed to the image of Christ. Now, that's all what God is about. God made us initially in his image. Sin has marred and broken that image. And now Christ has come to repair the image. And every month, every year, I should be, you should be growing so that the image of Jesus is seen more clearly, more clearly in us. So that means that you and I should never be satisfied with the status quo in our Christian lives. So another reason that we don't change is because we're satisfied with where we are. We don't see much of it happening, so we don't think it's necessary, but also we're satisfied with where we are. Hey, look, I punched my ticket to go to heaven. I prayed to ask Jesus to be my Savior and forgive my sins. I come to church most weeks. I like the people there. They've got good bagels. And so I come. But in terms of but in terms of me changing on a regular basis and that being what it's what it's about, many of us have never have never grasped that. We're satisfied with where we are. But for Christian, we should never be satisfied with where we are. Let me give you an example of this from the life of the Apostle Paul. If you were to lay the 13 books that the Apostle Paul wrote in the New Testament out in chronological order, and you were to look at what he says about himself as the years go by, you find him saying things like, I am the least of all of God's people. But prior to that, he had said, I'm the least among the apostles. 
Well, being the least among the apostles, that's still a pretty select group. But then later, as time goes on, he says, I'm the least of all of God's people. Wow. As time goes on, Paul is presumably growing in the Lord, but now he sees himself as worse than he did before. By the time he gets toward the end of his life, he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, I am the worst of sinners. So here you have the Apostle Paul, whose Christian life is much better than mine and much better than yours, I can say with confidence, who saw himself in need of change throughout his life and continued to change. And the more he saw about himself, the more he saw that needed to change. So we should never be satisfied with the status quo and thus become stagnant. Now, here's the good news. This change that God initiated and God desires that's found in terms like saint and sanctification, in terms like the church of which we are a part, the word church means the called out ones. That's literally what the word means. So we've been called out of the world and to God, again, emphasizing that difference that's been made. But this change that's seen in all of that, that's seen in terms like conversion, the good news is that change is not tied to circumstances. Now, I say that's good news because you're sitting here and every one of us has different sets of circumstances in which we find ourselves. And so you come to a course like this and you say, I want help and I want God's help in the situation that I'm in, which is perfectly understandable. But depending on the situation that you're in, it may be a circumstance that you can't change. You can't change the circumstance. God, of course, can, and God may choose to do that. But he may choose not to do that. God may choose not to change your circumstance. But here's the good news. God will always choose to change you. Your circumstance may not change. You can always change. And that's then good news. Because if I'm in circumstances that don't change and I tie my personal ability to to change to those circumstances, well, then I'm hopeless, then I'm lost. But your ability to change is not tied to the situation you're in. As a matter of fact, we are going to see that God actually uses the circumstance that you're in, even adverse circumstances you're in, to be the vehicle through which he produces the change in you that he desires. So, your change is not desired to is not tied to circumstances. So, give up looking for books on five keys to. You've all bought those. You've all done the program, and yet here we are, and we're still having the same kinds of struggles, with the same kinds of habits. That's why we say at the top of page one, we all struggle with issues that we'd like to change. Worry, fear, anxiety, hard-to-break habits plague all of us, sometimes for years. We read books, try programs that promise steps and keys, but despite our efforts, things remain the same. God knows our struggles better than any self-help guru. He made us. He cares for us. He's given instructions regarding our problems and their solution. 
So in this course, over these nine weeks, we'll look at what God says about our struggles and we'll discover that his solution is lasting because the answer is not a program, but rather it's a person. Now, to see the way that person, the Lord Jesus Christ, does change in the lives of people, bottom of page one gives you an overview of what we're going to be covering together. Today, we're going to look at the big picture of how God does change in our lives, life in a fallen world. And then having looked at the big picture, we're going to break down each of the components of that big picture over the next eight weeks, and you see what those are. So if you'll turn to page two. You see a chart that you're going to see throughout the pages of the notebook that you have. Every week, we're going to be filling in a portion of this chart. Now, today, I want to go over the big picture of this chart because this is a biblical illustration of the change process. This is the big picture of of change. Now, we need to take this first week... And to step back and to get this big picture for this reason. Many of us live our lives in compartments. I've observed over the years that Christian people compartmentalize their lives. So that they have a work compartment. They have a family compartment. They have a recreation leisure compartment. They have a finance compartment. And one of the compartments among the many compartments of our lives is the church spiritual life compartment. And that's problematic because the way we practically work that out, each of those compartments are hermetically sealed from the others. The spiritual life, the Christian life compartment is cordoned off from the other compartments. We don't see a necessary connection between that and everything else that's going on in our lives. As we're going to see, God sees not these separate compartments, but rather you take all of those areas of your life and you put them under one large umbrella. And that large umbrella is my interaction with and relation with the true and living God, which affects everything else, the finances, the recreation, the work, the health, my kids, every other box. So we need to see the big picture because we tend to live our lives in compartments. We need kind of an aerial view. Because when you're in the midst on the throes of your circumstances and your struggles, it's hard for you to see outside of that. It's hard for us to see outside of that. So we need someone who can kind of back that off and rather than you being in the midst of this wilderness, this forest, as it were, where you're kind of lost and you're trying to find your way out with whatever struggles you're having, we need an aerial view to show us where we are, to show us how we got there and how it is we can get out. And that's what the big picture does does for us. So the chart on page two, we're going to see the entire chart today. And then over the next eight weeks together, we're going to be filling this, filling this in. So here's the first portion of the chart. 
And we'll put it up on the screen for you because you can fill that in as we as we go. But the top middle you see is called heat. And that's really about your situation. What is your situation? So I don't know if you can see that on the screen, but at the top, and you could fill in. So what is your situation? What is my my circumstance? And it's called heat because this illustration pictures life as being in uh, a wilderness. And in the in this wilderness that we call life, you've got heat that's pressing upon you. And that we're calling your situation. That's what puts heat on you. That's what makes it what makes it uh, difficult. And so the heat is whatever your situation is. So what's going on with you? Just to yourself, think about what is my situation? Uh, what and, and what are the, the difficulties in particular in my situation? Think about the blessings in your situation as well. You can put a whole list of those there. What is my situation? So what's my situation in my relationships? What's my situation in my work life? What's my situation with my finances? What's my situation with my health? All of those circumstances are part of the heat of life. And every one of us has them. We all have them in different sizes and shapes. We're all in different situations, but we've all got them. What's yours? And then if you were to, if you were to point out the one or two or five of those that you have the most difficulty with, Maybe I'm addicted to something. Maybe I have some habit that I've been trying to break for years. That's part of my situation. So my relationships, my work, my health, my finances, my habit struggles. That's the heat of life. But then secondly, and on the on the screen... On the right of your, and on page two, on the right of your chart. Okay, now there's the situation I'm in, and there's how I react to the situation I'm in. What do I do with it? Because you are, and I am, at all times, reacting and interacting with our circumstances, with our situations. So you fill in that list of don't don't worry about reading the whole thing. I'll I'll tell you what it is. I got people turning around looking at the screen back there. Or I, I got you. I got you covered. I'll tell you what it says. If you can't read that, I'll I'll read it for you. But you but you are reacting to the the circumstances. And depending on how you react, it's either going to be better or worse for you. In that situation. So the chart shows a tree. Actually more like a cactus, right? And the reason it's that cactus look to it is because the Bible teaches that we reap our reactions. 
We reap what we sow. We reap the kind of seed we sow. And so as a result of that, you see at the top consequences. So what are the consequences in my, I've got relationships and I've got my health and I've got my finances. And then I've got how I react to all of those. And so what are the consequences? You could put those in. Depending on how I react to those, it could be I'm depressed on a regular basis. I'm joyless on a regular basis. I'm worried on a regular basis. There's friction in my relationships on a regular basis. I can't sleep. A whole host of things that could be consequences based upon how it is we react to the heat, the circumstances, the situations we are, we're in. Now, on the left there, in the middle, to the left of your cactus, uh, you could fill in, it says, bad fruit. Because what's being yielded there, when there's tension and joylessness and fear and worry and anxiety and all of that, when all of that's going on, it's bad fruit that's being yielded based upon the way we react to the circumstances. So we've all got the heat. We've all got the circumstances. We all react to those. Depending on how we react to those, it's going to have particular kinds of consequences for us. For most of us, there are at least some areas of our lives, and for many of us, many areas of our lives, where the consequences are very negative. And so these are... The struggles that we have, the struggles that bring us to a class like this, the struggles that we need to overcome if we are going to be engaged in the change process. Otherwise, we just continue to go year after year in our circumstances, reacting to it the same way. And you all know the definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. So there's this cactus that is representing my life, that's growing because of the way I'm reacting to my circumstances, and it's creating then this bad fruit. And we're going to go over each of these individually in the weeks to come. We're just getting the big picture now. But why do I tend to react in a negative way, in a harmful way to what's happening? What's happening, I may not be able to control. The heat, I may not be able to control. The situation, I may not be able to control. And it may well be a bad situation. But I make a bad situation worse so that my life becomes this cactus. Why? And that's what the illustration is trying to show you on page two. Notice that under the shaded area to the right, You have at the base of that cactus, you have a heart shape. See that? And you see the minus sign, the negative sign? So what's at the root of my growing cactus? According to the Bible, it's a negative heart. It's bad reactions to the heat. 
the situations, the circumstances in my life. Now, we all can identify, we can make our lists of how we react and what the consequences to that are, but at the bottom there, it's now getting to why you react that way. It's getting to literally the heart of the matter. That the issue is a heart issue for us in terms of how we are interacting with the God of our circumstances and therefore how we see these circumstances and then how we are in those circumstances. Now, if that's true, and we're going to see that it is, that we've got a heart that believes and wants contrary to what God has called us to believe and want. I'll say that again. We've got this root, heart issue, that gives rise to these thorn-like consequences in our lives because we want and believe things that are contrary to what God has called us to want and believe in those circumstances. And it produces ill fruit, bad fruit. Now, we're going to go on for how you change that. But just for now, think about how we try to change that usually. Take a look at your cactus life again. And think about how people try to go about changing it. Most often what people do is they try to take those thorns and they try to tape or staple fruit like apples onto the cactus. So if one of my reactions to my heat is anger, don't want to raise of hands here, but anybody in this room got an anger issue? I already know the answer to that in a room this size. There are plenty of people who react to their circumstance. All right, so my thing is, my thing is anger. So what do we say? We say you need to take an anger what kind of class? Anger what? Manage. Ah, manage your anger. Now manage it. We're not going to eradicate it. We're going to manage it. And frankly, what it amounts to is taping apples onto a cactus. And for a while, if you got good tape, it looks like we got good fruit. And that's why, in fact, you do some anger management and it can and does help. It helps you manage. Now, here, get this. You manage within the situation you're in. Here's the problem. The heat changes. Now I'm in a different situation. Now what do I do? Wait a minute. We didn't cover that in my anger management class. So what really needs to change is the heart. That, in turn, gives rise to true and lasting fruit. But how does that happen? And your chart then shows that at the bottom. It goes through the person and work of Jesus, represented by the cross there. And then the lines at the bottom on page 2, you could, you, could, you could write in who is God and what does he say and do in Christ. Who is God And what does he do and say in Christ? So for my cactus life, I've got my cactus, 
I've got at the top of the cactus, what are the consequences? To the left of the cactus, I've got bad fruit. How do I react? To the left of that heart symbol, I've got a bad root. What I want and believe. And then down at the bottom, in order for that heart to change, in order for that root to change, it's going to go through my view of God and Christ. Who is God and what does he say and do in Christ? That's what you put in at the bottom. Now, if you do that, if you now go and look at what who God is and what he says and does in Christ, that now results in a change of attitude, a change of perspective. That now results in a different root. And so if you keep going around on the, on the chart, you see to the left of the chart, now a different tree. It's not a cactus anymore. But it's actually a tree with good fruit. And why does it have good fruit? Because it has a different root. You notice it has a positive heart rather than a, a negative heart that it brings to the situation. So next to your positive heart there, this is a good root. You're seeking God in repentance and faith. And as a result of that, to the right of the tree, it's producing, instead of thorns, it's producing good fruit. You're responding, you're responding to your situation with love. And as a result, that has changed your consequences. Now, what I want you to notice here is that change process, and this is a biblical change process, that change process does not touch the heat up at the top. The heat's still the same. The situation is still the same. The circumstances are still the same. They still may be difficult. What's different is not the circumstance. The difference is how you react to the circumstance. The difference is not the situation. It's now the heart that I bring to the situation. So, let's say I'm in a bad marriage. I'm not in a bad marriage. I'm in a great marriage. Let's say you're in a bad marriage. That's your heat. Part of my heat is this relationship and this difficult relationship that, that I'm in. You see, if you bring, you bring this negative heart, which is what you want and believe, that's contrary to what God has called you to want and believe. If you do that, you're going to make that bad situation worse. You're not going to have good fruit. You're going to have these thorns growing in your, in your life. And your solution is not going to be to go around this chart and go through God and Christ and who God is and what he says and does in Christ. You're not going to go through that. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to say, I need to change the heat. And, and how do you change the heat in a marriage? You check out. You divorce. You leave. If you don't actually divorce and leave, you emotionally divorce and leave. You just check out. That'll be your solution. That'll be the wrong solution. 
But that'll be your solution. If you keep having trouble in your relationships, you keep going from job to job, and somehow every job you go to, everybody's a jerk. Well, if every job you go to, everybody's a jerk, just take a moment to step back and think about what the common denominator is at all those jobs. If you keep having difficulty in your relationships, if you identify the problem not as the heart you bring to those relationships, but rather the circumstance, that is, the people around me. Then just like in marriage, I'm going to have to check out of that. I'm going to have to change the heat. Likewise with my job. i gotta, I got to have a new job. And so here's what that means. You keep changing the heat. You keep trying to change the temperature so that the heat is off, so that you find it just the way you want it, and you keep doing that. So some of you have heard me say over the years, hear this, you can change a dress, but you take the same heart with you. You can move your address. You can move your job. You can move spouses, but you take the same heart with you everywhere you go. And so the Bible wants to get to root change, not the kind of superficial tape it on, staple it on, change the heat. As a matter of fact, there are times, according to the Bible, that a sovereign God who is in control of everything that happens in his world has placed you in the the very heat that you are in and he wants you to remain there in order for you to go through this process and produce this kind of fruit. To put it another way, often for God, the difficult circumstance is the very means that he uses in order to produce the good fruit in your life. But you'll never get that If you continue to take the quick way out, change address, change the heat, change the temperature. This is God's change process. This is how we how we change. Now, I want to give you one illustration of that from Scripture in our remaining four minutes. And we'll pick up next week by beginning to go through each one of these in some detail. We'll look at the heat next week in detail, and then we'll go around the the chart in the coming weeks. Bring the notes back with you. If you forget them, we'll have some more for you. But we're going to be looking together in the weeks to come at a passage in the Bible called in in James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And if you have time, I encourage you to read that this week. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. And James starts in verse number one of that passage by asking a question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Now, if you take the heat approach, that the heat is the problem rather than the heart. If you take the heat approach, you'll answer the question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Here's what causes fights and quarrels among you. These idiots that are around me. Or to use Adam's language in Genesis chapter 3, it's the woman you gave me. Why am I having marital problems? Why are we having fights? It's because of her. She brings all this baggage. Holy cow, women, man. 
I get I get people sitting across the desk from me and they just start telling me, you know, if it's a man, they just tell me all about women and all the problems women have and, and all that. And and they come to me for counsel, but almost the entire time they're instructing me. I mean, man, you just don't know what women are like. Well, as a matter of fact, I got three of them in my house. I'm outnumbered. Okay. I was born to one also. But it's because, and so this is a person completely taking the heat approach, not the heart approach, right? So what causes fights and quarrels among you, James asks. And our answer is going to be, it's because of immediately a name comes to mind, a situation comes to mind. And then James says this, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Where do these fights and quarrels come from? No, not the heat. The heart. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it, James goes on to say. And then in that chapter, he goes on to talk about what that means, what that looks like, how that brings about ill fruit, and what needs to be done done about it. James chapter 4 is a good passage on that. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to see together that this is replete throughout the Bible. That friends, your biggest problem is not your heat, it's your heart. And we want to see together how to have changed hearts that yield new and lasting fruit. That's what we're going to do in the weeks to come. Let's ask the Lord to help us then, okay? Father, thank you for today. Uh, all of today. Thank you for our worship time, the opportunity to praise you with your people, to be instructed by you from your word. And now, Lord, I thank you for this group of brothers and sisters and friends who are all in the same boat, all of us, that we all live in the heat of life, the circumstances and situations of life, often adversarial, often trying and difficult. And yet, Lord, all of us are interacting with you every moment of every day in those situations. And depending on how we interact with you, what heart we bring to the situation, then we're reacting in a particular way, causing particular consequences in our own lives. Father, you are the sovereign God who can control the circumstances. We cannot control the situations we're in often. We certainly can't control the way other people respond to the situations they're in. But we can do what you have called us to do, and that is to interact with you through the person and work of Jesus. And so, Lord, in these next eight weeks, we want to see how that operates. We want to see how we move from hearts that want and believe things contrary to your call to us, to wanting and believing the things that you have called us to be and do. And as a result... May that produce new and surprising fruit in our lives. Lord, may that have good effect on those who are around us who may be part of the heat. Sometimes you choose to use that very thing to change the heat. But whether the circumstance changes or not, we need to change. And so we ask you, the change maker, to do that within us in the weeks to come. Go with us this week, we ask you. Help us to analyze the heat that we're in. Think about the way we react to it. And help us to even perhaps, just as a result of today, to do that differently. 
But help us to think about it. We ask you to grant us safety and to bring us back together next Lord's Day so that we can move ahead in this change process. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.